0: Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now... Please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders.
1: Hello and welcome to season five of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I can't believe this is our fifth season, but I'm so thrilled to be here. We've got some important topics to talk about over the coming episodes, I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm also the founder of Coach Metrics, a cloud based tool we develop to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development through both of my organizations. My mission, my vision, is to help organizations create a healthy, aligned, and more human workplace. So thanks for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. And if you heard our teaser episode just a few weeks ago, season five is all about how we can create a more deeply human workplace. You may remember I launched a book back in February on the deeply human workplace, and I'm absolutely passionate about this topic because I know that the more that we can tap into our humanity, the more we can leverage our greatest gift as humans, which is our ability to adapt. So this season, I'm interviewing incredible human beings who have a perspective on topics such as human needs, happiness, conscious capitalism, psychological safety, and more so that you can create a healthy, aligned, and more human workplace. Today's guest, super excited about this interview. I had a great conversation with Luis. His name is Luis Gallardo. Luis is the former global chief marketing officer at Deloitte. He's the founder of the world happiness summit and world happiness foundation. Luis is a true social innovator and entrepreneur with a higher purpose of elevating the vibration of the planet by developing ideas, connecting thought leaders, activists, and communities, and increasing awareness on the science of happiness, holistic education, and smart innovation for Luis Happiness is a human right and a life choice, an enabler of human development and social innovation. So I'm excited about this interview. Luis is doing incredible work around our world. And today we're going to talk about the science of happiness, some strategies we can put in place to become more happy individually and collectively, and how can we bring more happiness into our work and our world? Let's go to the interview with Luis now. Luis, welcome to the Future of Leadership. It is so nice to have you here. I'm just honored to have you as a guest. Thank you for joining me today.
0: It's a pleasure, Sal. Uh, love to be here. Well,
1: Luis, tell us about the work you're doing at the World Happiness Foundation.
0: Yeah, basically, we focus our activities around change management, especially focus on three main areas. We focus on education. We focus on health, mental health, and we focus on leadership, especially at the corporate and at the government levels. So we believe that we can get to a tipping point when we reach out 25 million change makers in the world, that can impact each around 400 people. So that's going to create a wave of goodwill that is going to catapult us to 2050, where every single human being on the planet will be happier than it is today or will be in the future. Because actually, we have 7.6 billion people in the planet today so, there will be almost 3,000, I mean, 3 billion eight new people born between now and 2050. So, I think it's going to be easier to get 3 billion happier. So, that's why we focus a lot on education. But in order to get to that, we are going to need teachers, we are going to need leaders, and we are going to need especially health professionals that can think in an holistic and integrative way. How we facilitate uh, human progress. So, our foundation is focused on that. And something important is that we steward two United Nations resolutions uh, that we were able to pass and lobby uh, 10 years ago. Uh, One of the resolutions is celebrating March 20th as International Day of Happiness. And the second is uh, one very important resolution that invites every country, every institution, every organization. To create processes and programs that are based on new paradigms for human progress based on happiness and well being. We call these capitalism. That's nice. kind of what we do at the World
1: I love it. capitalism. That's so cool. So, Luis, why happiness? Why does it matter? What sort of drove your focus in this direction?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that, you know, at some point in our professional careers and and in our life, we realize that maybe what we've done in the past is the base to what we are gonna be doing in the future. And I say that because I still remember when I I was at the World Economic Forum I worked as the global CMO of Deloitte for more than 12 years. And you know, Deloitte is a big professional services organization. So many countries and so my job was really aligning the whole organization around the big brand idea, the purpose. We were determined to align and to make an impact in the world. And one of our study partners was the World Economic Forum. And I still remember the World Economic Forum is... Just that is a forum based on economic growth. And they do that through the engagement of multiple stakeholders. So I think the novelty of the World Economic Forum is bringing not just shareholders, but stakeholders to the conversation. And from there, you get into conscious capitalism and you get into space where you try to improve the system that we have today. But when I was there, I was talking to so many leaders and something that we know in business and in marketing is that depending on the framework that you create and you give your executive directors, they are going to go into one direction or are going to go into another one. So the world economic forum is the framework is economic growth. So when I was there, I was always thinking, well, eh, we don't exist as a species for the sake of economic growth. Eh, humanity exist, and that was my question, fundamental question, is why do we exist as humanity? Because it's not to sell more consumer business. It's not about selling more water. It's not about, about creating new packaged products. I mean, what do we exist? And that was my question. I was using actually many of those conversations In order to ask that, I mean, why do you think we do we exist as humanity? And there were so many answers, but something that was common to almost every answer was happiness. So it's like, okay, I mean, you know, in research, when you do research and basically you are getting the same answer for so many people, there is something there. So at some point I said, well, what about if actually instead of having World Economic Forum, we have World Happiness Fest? It's like we change the framework and instead of working for growth, economic growth, we work for the evolution of happiness. That was the beginning of all this ideation of creating a new movement where the only focus is to research, is to explore and is to grow our overall happiness around the world so that's the reason why happiness because we and now that we've been on this journey for more than ten years, now I truly believe that the ultimate goal of humanity is enjoying what we have mm. and being as happy as we can be, not just because that's good for us individually, actually because that's good for others yeah. so happiness yeah is an amazing asset to share. It's like money. If you keep all the money for you, you you're going to be richer. But if you share your money, that's when actually you're going to be happier. So that's a a really cool relationship between the old system we are living in, capitalism, and the new system and new paradigms that are emerging, such as capitalism, because they should be rich in here. That's why we chose happiness. It's very strategic. We really want to support this new paradigm for human progress.
1: So you're impacting the world through happiness, and it is interesting because I think personally, I think collectively, people. This is just my own anecdote or my own thoughts, but when people feel like they are contributing to something other than themselves, they tend to be more fulfilled and or happy. Is that accurate?
0: Absolutely accurate. And there is a lot of research that supports that. When you set the framework and you say, okay, this is about maximizing happiness, then how do you do that? Because it's not all about saying, I want to be happy and you are going to be happier. You have to do something. So in order to do something, the first thing that you have to understand is that you already have it. Mm. So it's in you, it's not anywhere else. So this is a first fundamental discovery is happiness is in you. If that's the case, then how do you find it? How do you remember it? And one way, fundamental way, research and proven that it's an, a very important route is purpose and is mm-hmm. meaning. So the moment that you have meaning and purpose, that's, complete activator that activates your overall happiness so that's a key activator there are many activators but meaning and purpose is probably one of the top ones
1: i just released a book called the deeply human workplace back in february and, and it's a pyramid of needs that we believe all humans have and at the top of that pyramid we call community impact and it's it's really that it's about finding meaning and purpose And contributing back to something bigger than yourself, whether it's your team members at work or your local community or something more global. So meaning and purpose. So your research is pointing to, in order to maximize happiness, one lever to pull is is to know that it's inside of you already. And it's really about finding that meaning and purpose. What else does the research say in terms of how you know, the science of happiness and how we, how we find it.
0: Even if we know where happiness is, it's not easy uh, for many people to activate it. One big blockage is genetics. Uh, And because we are, from a genetics point of view, we are different. And we know from research as well, that almost 50% of our happiness is based on genetics. So imagine that somebody is not predisposed to overall happiness. They have to work harder in order to remember and find it. So this is the first thing, is that we are not all the same. And then from a chemical point of view and from a biological point of view, there are so many conditions to activate those chemicals from cortisol to serotonin to oxytocin to endorphins. And depending on the conditions and depending on the trauma that is in our cells and in our body, we are going to react in a very different way. So this is when the whole complication comes. And for some people, even talking about happiness is like, wow, no, this is my first space." space. People feel attacked. Some people feel attacked when you say that happy is good, that happiness is good. It's like, no, come on. This is happy, crassia. now we are talking about the new way to oppress people. It's like, you have to tell me that I have to be happier? No. Actually, but that reaction happens because people have limited beliefs. They are charged from a genetics and biological point of view And from a trauma memory point of view, the intergenerational trauma, it's something that is all over. And especially in the U.S., we see that the intergenerational trauma is what is creating so much polarization among so many people. So we have to keep that in mind. It's like when we talk about overall happiness, then you have to go and you have to study. And then you have to find the right activators for you. So this is the second step. The second step is, first step, you know it's in you. Second step, how do I activate it through the right tools and with the right elements? And then we discovered that, especially at work, there are five elements that really are critical to overall happiness. There are more than 12, 14 elements, but there are five that are critical. Two of them are basic needs. them, And that's the same in life. I mean, if you don't have your basic needs covered, if you don't have food to eat every day, if you don't have the right conditions for you to flourish, it's going to be much harder for you than it's for somebody else to achieve the optimal or the, the specific level of happiness that you're achieving. So I think at work, there are two elements that are basic needs, is how much you make. So if you're not making enough money, what is your payroll? What is your compensation? If you are not satisfied with that, it is very difficult that anything else plays off. And the second key basic element is that you feel appreciated at work. Mm-hmm. Is that, that you feel that you are contributing, and you feel that appreciation? So appreciation and compensation are basic yeah. If they don't, if they are not. On the table, the rest of the opportunity really minimizes. When we have those two, we jump into higher states. And those higher states are around purpose and meaning. Is your purpose, personal purpose and meaning? Is aligned with the company. You find it in the work that you do. The second one is the energy that the job brings you. Is this a job that really energizes me every day when I'm there or not? And then the third one, critical one, is belonging. Hmm. Is the sense that you belong. That's what what you were mentioning around being more than oneself. You can only be feeling that you are more than yourself when you belong to a higher purpose. So the higher purpose and the belonging is critical. So those five elements really determine our happiness at work.
1: So just in terms of like the basic needs, we often hear that money doesn't make us happier, but it's like, if I understand the research correctly, it's after a certain point. In other words, we, we have to have enough to be able to provide, to be able to get out of the cycle of Poverty or survival, we have to be able to get those needs met. Is that accurate? Like there's a sense of there's got to be a minimum there to even have those other five, four elements be uh something to be considered.
0: I mean, in the system we are living today, capitalism, you need capital. I mean, otherwise you cannot live in, in this system. Let's be realistic. In a capitalist system, you need capital, the same way that in a capitalist system, you will need happiness. So Every system requires us as individuals in that system and collectively as community to do something. So in a capitalist system, you need capital. The question is how much do you need and when enough is enough?
1: What does your research find around how much is enough? When is enough enough?
0: Well, enough is enough when you have covered your basic needs. And then it's about belonging, appreciation, it's right. about energy, and it's about meaning. For example, if you don't have meaning, you might need a lot of money mm. in order to satisfy your void. Mm. If you have right. meaning, probably you don't need a little, you don't need that much. And this is what we see in the in the non-for-profit space. Normally salaries in the non-for-profit space are much lower than other industries. However, people feel much more fulfilled. So it's not, I mean, we are always trying to find the headline. It's like, okay, what is the right amount of money? And there are many research out there. They say in the U.S. that around $60,000 is between 60 and 100. But actually when you have 1 million, having a bump to 3 million actually creates happiness as well. So I think that there are so many researchers out there, but I think it's very, I would say it would be, a bit of manipulation to say, this is exactly what we all need. That's not correct. My answer will be, what covers your business
1: and brings you meaning? So they're interconnected here. It's not just a singular answer, and it depends for different people and for their situations. That's really interesting. A couple of the other needs that you mentioned, belonging. We know from our research that in what we have at the bottom of our model is this idea of connection. It's a sense of Belonging and a sense of feeling loved. And what some from some of the research that we found in our work, what we found around longitudinal studies is that one of the primary indicators of physical and mental health and happiness was belonging or is belonging. The quality of your relationships matter. Is that accurate from your standpoint?
0: Absolutely. And I think that it is very important that we all know that right now we have. Facing uh, the the hardest uh, pandemic and it's not COVID is yeah. loneliness and loneliness uh, in the United States. People report twenty percent of people report one out of four people report not having any friends. Um, and we know that smoking is as bad as fi- as smoking fifteen cigarettes per day.
1: Loneliness. That's loneliness.
0: Wow. Is fifteen around fifteen because and it's. Is even worse than obesity. So loneliness has a health, physical health, and mental health impact overall. And that's kind of the, I would say, the pessimistic side, the optimistic side, is that you just need one friend. You just need one good friend in order to palliate loneliness. And then what you need is to connect with yourself. Because when somebody is connected to him or herself, and they are in deep connection, what I mean by connection is understanding their fears, understanding their shadows, understanding their gifts, understanding who they are. Yeah. When you get to that level of awareness and mindfulness about who you are, you don't feel lonely because you know that you are connected to something else. Yeah. So I think that we have those are key actions in order to stop loneliness. One is creating systems that help us to get a buddy. And we see this in many businesses. The moment you join a company, you get get a buddy. Somebody who's going to be with you, is going to be showing you around, is going to be with you all the time because they know how important it is, the onboarding process, eh, for you to feel that you belong. And the second one is helping everybody to go deeper, into understanding who they are. And I think mm. that this is a big opportunity because we don't do we don't do a great job in this mm. space.
1: That is so interesting. When you talked about the opportunity or the positive side of this, is that you only need one close friend, it reminds me of the Gallup and their engagement survey question around do you have a best friend at work? And it adds meaning to why that question is part of their engagement survey. So that's really interesting. And that idea of a buddy, a long time ago, Louise, I went through Ranger School. It's a US Army training. And this was back in 1993. So, a long time ago, I'm probably dating myself. But even in that school, we had the idea of having a Ranger buddy, someone who was connected with you. You had each other's back, you supported each other, you took care of each other, you looked after each other. So, that idea of bringing that action into the workplace. As a means to create connection, seems like a simple but powerful solution.
0: Yeah, it's very it's very simple, but you know, simple things in this world today are very complicated. To they are because you have to be very conscious and you have to be very focused on building that as part of the strategy program. The program should state that clearly, very clearly, that we all need somebody to love. So it's like. Yeah. Is that's the core, and then once the system is there, then you expand into your team. We call this rope team. And you know, people who climb, they know this in the heart because when you are climbing, and here I work very close to Eric Waymayer, the first blind person who climbed uh, Mount Everest, and the whole no barriers uh, community. The concept of rope is. We get there together or we don't get there together. We die together. And when you create your rope team, that goes beyond just one body. That goes into who are the five, six people in your life that can help you achieve your maximum potential. And those five bodies, five, six, that becomes your rope team. And that rope team is going to be, some of them are going to be guiding you. Some of them are going to be supporting you. Some of them are going to be pushing you to the next level. But this concept of team and beyond body is amazing because imagine just with the body, the connection to yourself, and then expanding into a rope team, that would eradicate loneliness from planet Earth.
1: It's such a great metaphor before kids. I spent a lot of time doing some international mountaineering. And I had a opportunity a few times to climb down in Ecuador and we were climbing a a peak called Chimborazo. Just I think the summit is just under 21,000 feet and make a long story short. We started at 1130 PM and we got off track because of some avalanche conditions. And by 5 AM, I completely bonked. And my, the four guys that I was climbing with, we made a pact before we went on this trip that. We all get to the top together or we all come down together, but no in between. And that decision was made for everybody. And these four guys supported me and got me off the mountain and back down to our camp safely. But it's that same concept. You're moving beyond that buddy and you're moving to that rope team. What a terrific metaphor for happiness.
0: Yeah. And you experienced that yourself. I think that we are living in a world where we would like to have heroes, uh, but the metaphor that you share is so powerful because the fulfillment of helping somebody is much higher than the fulfillment of achieving something without that person. And actually, I told you about Eric. Eric, when he climbed, the, he was 20 years ago the first blind person to top the summit of Mount Everest. It took him two years of training. But you know, the most important thing, it took him a team of 21 people. Those 21 persons, those were working to help him to achieve Mount Everest. What they created as a common narrative among all of them was so powerful that that team became the largest team in history to top Mount Everest at the same time.
1: It's such a great story. I think Eric lives here in Colorado, if I'm not. Yeah, he lives in Colorado. It's unbelievable. I just really want to reiterate something you said the fulfillment of helping someone, somebody, is so much more than achieving something by yourself.
0: And without that body, without that person. So,
1: yes. Yeah, without that person. Yeah, it really speaks to like, when we do something or achieve something, what I find, at least in myself, is the first thing that I want to do is share it with someone. It's so much more rewarding when I get to share that experience with someone else.
0: So funny because I remember one campaign there was a, a liquor, Bacardi. They ran a whole campaign of having a party overseas. It was a big boat, and they basically, was a party. They realized that actually people get dizzy, very dizzy, when the water is bumping. So actually, they stopped with the boat because when it was bumpy the people didn't enjoy. It. But you know, in order to, they did a the research about all these people having a party and meeting somebody there. So 90% of people reported that if there were no friends around watching them, doing what they were doing, they were not fulfilled. Even in having fun at parties, you rather enjoying that with your friends and having your friends seeing you because that's the way you are sharing. So imagine how important sharing becomes for everybody. And for some reason, we keep creating barriers, and we keep creating blockages to shame. We are humanity that fulfills in groups. And there is another research. This is why so many group therapists are based on this research that basically change, real change, uh, when you go through trauma happens in groups. And we even know that it's between nine and 12, and 12 people.
1: And that's also the, happens to be the ideal size of a team or a leadership team nine to 12. I have one final question I then I'll see if I can kind of summarize some of our key points. How does social media factor into happiness? Does it make us more happy, less happy? I often find that social media kind of triggers the idea of comparison, which then doesn't make me happier. What's the research say around social media? Do you know?
0: Yes. And we are still learning, yeah. but we got a lot. I mean, what we saw is that the spike on teenagers' suicide rate is exactly parallel to the spike of social media use. So, I mean, this is a key fact. Why? Maybe because we don't know how to use it. Maybe because what it creates is so addictive for so many people that you cannot, separate from it so i think that in order to respond to this we need to go deeper into how addiction happens and what we know is that social media can create as much addiction as gambling as drugs tobacco alcohol and so much so i would say that when you are getting closer to addiction it's very harming and it's very painful if it's your basically Technology tool in order to achieve something else, and you are able to control it and you are able to manage it, then that could be very beneficial as well. But I feel that what's going on today with social media is like we don't have enough education, we don't have enough role models. And what we know as well is that there are three main elements for unhappiness in the world one is competition, the second one is Comparison, to compare with something. And the third one is complaining. I call it the three C's of unhappiness. Competition, comparison, complaining. Social media helps you so much to do this because you are comparing yourself all the time with everything. You could stop it and you can control it. Yeah. So I think that the answer is not easy because it's more a rainbow that black and white But right now, unless you know how to handle it, it is going to create addiction.
1: Thank you. That's really insightful. And I'm going to see if I can summarize a a few sort of key takeaways as we start to wrap up today. Number one, happiness is already in us as people. And part of it is for us, part of it's about finding that happiness or finding purpose and meaning. Is that accurate?
0: Yep, it is.
1: Genetics play a key role. They can be a big blocker up to 50% of why people are happy is due to genetics. Did I get that right?
0: Yes, it depends on the environment. And uh-huh. actually, something good. the good news is that we can change their genetics alive, I mean, in the present, because they, there is a whole science of epigenetics. But yes, we are charged, and that's in our genes and that's in our subconscious mm-hmm. as well
1: helpful clarification, there's five elements needed to activate happiness, two basic needs, uh, having enough money to cover your basic needs in life, to sort of move out of survival mode. And then number two, feeling appreciated, like your contributions matter. And then the higher level elements are related to purpose and meaning, energy, and belonging. Did I get those five elements right? Yes.
0: Is many. Belonging energy at the higher level, and then feeling appreciated and compensation as basic.
1: Basic is the feeling appreciated and compensation. Great. And then there's a couple of things that very tangibly that leaders and organizations can do. Number one, help people get connected, help them find that one best friend, at least in the workplace, that buddy at work. And then number two, also help people to learn more about themselves, the self-awareness, where their strengths are, where there might be some fears, what they're good at and being able to leverage that. And then step three is expand beyond that one buddy to the rope team concept. Is that about right? Love it, yes. Awesome. Louise. thank you so much. Any final advice for our listeners before we wrap up today?
0: No, I think that that was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate bringing in these topics to the future of leadership. Future of leadership is in our hands. So yeah. we shouldn't expect anybody to tell us how to lead in the future. We have to lead from the heart. And when we do that, I think that we are we are creating the already the, the, the determination and conditions to do it. So thank you for bringing this topic too.
1: Thank you, Luis. Can you point our listeners to your website? Where, where do they go for... More information about World Happiness Fest and or any other trainings and offerings that your organization has.
0: Yes, please join us at WorldHappiness.foundation. WorldHappiness.foundation. And there you can you can see what we do at the festival, the academy, the observatory. We have many, many different programs, but WorldHappiness.foundation.
1: Thanks for being with me today, Louise.
0: Thank you so much. So
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you wanna learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership, I'm out.